Yeah, I'll get the pulpit, so. I can do that to Joe. Cool Christianity. Well, I don't know uh, that there's been anything other than Christianity that's been cool about this summer so far, huh? Wow. But I am thankful that uh, we have air conditioning in here so we don't have to face that brutal temperature in here. We've uh, been talking about the Lordship of Christ, and we are in week three of that. And today, we're going to, I think, make it personal. So I'm going to tell you in advance that this might make you a little bit uncomfortable when we start talking about the Lordship of Christ and making it personal. Because I think at some point in time, all of us struggle with this Lordship of Christ issue. So let's review. The first week, we talked about the sovereignty of God, accepting the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? In fact, I had somebody ask me that after last week's service. What does that mean, God is sovereign? That means that he's above all. He's the supreme or ultimate power. Last week, we talked about the position and the permissions of our life. Who is number one and who has a right to, to my life? Today, we're going to look at two more principles of the Lordship of Christ. Today we're going to look at the profession issue. When we settle the Lordship issue of our life, it, it settles who we profess as Lord. Now, all of us are going to have someone or something as Lord, okay? You're going to make something number one in your life. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be someone or something else. But you're going to have something that's going to take the first spot in your life. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus talking said, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? You see, it's about obedience. Lordship is more than just words. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus warns us, uh, beginning in verse 13, that it's not an easy path to follow to make him the Lord of your life. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, then skip down to verse 21. And this is a warning for, I think, all of us, because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to hear these words on Judgment Day. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We find out that saying the right words is not what it's going to take to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I think many people treat the Lordship of Christ like a password. You know, we've all played that game when somebody knocks on it. What's the password? Well, if you get the right password, I'll let you in. That's not a password. The Lordship of Christ is not a password. 
Doing good works won't get you into heaven. You know, I believe every false religion in the world is some way based around works. And I think even a lot of Christians believe that they can work their way into the kingdom of heaven by doing enough, by serving enough, by doing enough good deeds. You can't work enough jobs. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough deeds to get yourself into heaven. Only by obeying God will get you into heaven. So how many times do we need to obey God? Five out of ten times? Seven out of ten times? You know, that's pretty good average. If you do nine out of ten times, that's way above average. I really believe there are three kinds of people, and every one of us here today will fall into this, one of these categories. First category is the people that neither claim Jesus as Lord, and they certainly don't do what he says. They could, really could care less. So the, he, he's not the Lord, and I'm not going to do what he says. The second type of people is the people who claim that Jesus is Lord, but don't do what he says. The third type of people are the people who claim Jesus as Lord and actually follow through, and it's called obedience. So I want to ask you, what group are you in this morning? You're one of the three. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 6. Jesus tells us a, another story, and Jesus was a, was a carpenter, the son of a carpenter, so he knew something about building. And he tells us this story about two fellows that, that built houses. Let's pick it up in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and the destruction was complete. You guys remember that story? The, 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 it just kind of came to me this week. You know, I learned that as a kid. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but, you know, I still remember the hand motions, the, the wise man built his house upon the rock. You guys remember that? And then we had the foolish man built his house upon the sand. You know, the rains came down, floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm, but the house on the sand did what? Went splat. Jesus told that story. And both of these men heard the word, both had the opportunity to obey God. The difference was one had a foundation and the other one didn't. The difference between the wise and the foolish man, it comes down to this issue of obedience. Situations were familiar. They both built houses, probably very similar in construction. One had a foundation and one didn't. 
I think the application for us is that regardless of whether your house is built on sand or, or the rock, storms of life are going to come. Rain's going to come. Floods are going to come. Wind's going to blow. And the difference is you've either got a foundation or you don't. The difference between success and failure is obedience. And partial obedience, in fact, is really just total disobedience. Can I give you three kinds of, of what I call obedience today? And, and the first one is, I think, the one that most parents are probably very familiar with. It's selective obedience. I'll obey what I want to obey when I want to do it. Any of you parents ever experienced that with your kids? No, I'm, I, I know as adults probably none of you were like that, but honestly, I think all of us find ourselves in that situation. We will obey when it's convenient, and the rest I'll ignore. And a lot of people take God's word and say, you know, for the most part, I can, I can handle most of this, but there are some parts of this are really tough and... I think I'm just going to ignore those things. God's word is not something you can take or leave. Hey, I can do this and I'm going to ignore that. Can you imagine being a boss of a company and one of your employees says, Hey, listen, I've been reading through the employee manual and for the most part, I think I can do most of this stuff, but there's a few things that I really struggle with, and I, I'm just not going to follow through. And, and I just hope you're going to be okay with that, you know. There's about half of it that maybe I, I really am going to struggle with. That's probably not going to end up very well for that employee because either partial obedience is okay or it's not. Second type of obedience is situational. I'll obey depending on the situation. You know, sometimes the rules may work, sometimes they may not work. So in those cases, I'm just going to wing it. Some situations are really tough, and so I'm just going to see what happens. You know, I'm not going to decide until that moment how I'm going to really respond. Let me tell you, that is a recipe for disaster right there. If you don't decide in advance how you're going to handle the situation, it's going to be too late. I tell young people all the time, if you do not set your standards in dating and what you will and won't allow in that relationship, when you get into that moment, it's too late. If you have not set your standard and decided what I'm going to do, situational obedience. Third type is surrendered obedience. And this is the type of obedience that Jesus expects from us. It's Complete obedience, I'll obey no matter what, there are no, no other options. But I want to tell you, that's the least popular of the three. But that's what Jesus expects. Now, can you imagine somebody planning a wedding? And we've had a lot of weddings happen uh, within our church this year. But can you imagine this engaged couple, madly in love, and deciding that they were going to plan this ceremony and they have this serious talk and like, how much do I really have to commit to you and still get you to marry me? Like, 
60, 70%, that's more than half of me. Are you going to be okay with that? 60, 70% of, of total commitment. I think for most spouses and, and couples, the, the wedding would be off, wouldn't it? Be the end of the ceremony. A few years ago, actually two years ago, <clears throat> For Christmas, we got our grandgirls a big dollhouse. I mean, one of these big ones. Has anybody here ever assembled one of those big dollhouses before? Okay, a few hands. Let me tell you, there are literally hundreds of pieces to that thing. Came in a huge box, had a nice picture of what this thing's supposed to look like when it's done. I tore into that thing, and I, I got to tell you, I was overwhelmed. But I laid out all the pieces, let's get them all out of the box. And, and then I got the instructions out. And I thought, okay, well, let's see how hard of a project this is going to be, you know. And if it tells you it takes two to four hours, eight to ten hours, okay. They always take, tell, take longer than what they tell you. But I tried to lay out the parts According to the instructions, okay, step one, here are the, the parts that I need. Step two, here are the parts that, that I need. Step 87, here are the parts that I need, okay? And then I kind of got the instructions down, read again and again and again. Well, can you imagine what would have happened if I would have never begun the assembly process of that project? If I had never actually begun doing it? Christmas morning, grandgirls, hey! Here's your dollhouse. Well, where? Right here. Papa, well, that's parts, pieces. Well, I know, but it's, it's actually a dollhouse. It just hasn't been put together yet. I haven't done it yet. But I have read the instructions. Oh, great, but are you going to put it together? Well, I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm reading the instructions again. No, I had to actually begin doing it. You see, it's not just enough to learn about the Lordship of Christ. To look at the pieces, continue to read the instructions over and over, we've actually got to begin doing it. It's called obedience. When someone truly makes Jesus the Lord of your life, it settles this issue, who am I going to call Lord? Or what am I going to put first in my life? Because you're going to have something in that number one position, that number one place in your life. And it's not just something we say because we, we heard that from Jesus himself. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. It's only those who obey. Second principle is the Lordship settles the possession issue of my life. The question of who owns my stuff, the things of my life. And i got to be honest with you, this might be the very toughest one of all to surrender. My stuff, my possessions. Because we like our stuff, we like our toys, we like our things. If I were to ask you this morning, like on your back of your bullets and where there's a blank, if you would just write down, what does God own? What does God own? What would you put in that blank? Let me help you fill that blank out. How about everything? 
Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Okay, so not only everything in the world he owns, but all of us who live in this world, he owns us too. I think the greatest test regarding lordship is, comes to this area of the stuff in our life, our possessions. Because we think they're ours. You know, I worked hard to get these things. I saved up my money. I researched what I wanted to buy, and so I bought these things for me. It's what I wanted. A lot of people don't mind making Jesus Lord of other areas of their life, but when it comes to making Jesus Lord of our possessions or our money, a lot of people really struggle. When it comes to the possessions, and you suggest that everything they have belongs to God, kind of makes people uncomfortable because we like to think they're ours. And then they really get uncomfortable if we start talking about, well, as a demonstration of the lordship of Christ in our life, maybe we need to give back some of those possessions, some of that stuff to him to show that he truly is the Lord of our life as an acknowledgement. Why do people start getting uncomfortable when it comes to the issue of giving to God? That's probably the number one issue that people struggle with in Christianity is, is giving. I'll tell you why. I believe it's because they haven't settled this lordship issue of Christ, including my possessions. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And Jesus tells us another parable, and this was of the rich fool. A few lessons here I want us to, to get from this, beginning with verse 16. And he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. You see, he thought he was responsible for his own wealth. He thought that he had brought the rain and he had done everything to make his crops grow. It was all on him. And he didn't acknowledge God for any of it. And he had a bumper harvest. And he said, I don't have anywhere to put my stuff. You know, people, when they go to buy a, a, and, and look for a house, one of the first things, and I think women like to do this, they like, walk in, they open up the cabinets. Oh, there's a lot of storage here, right? I like this. This place has got a lot of storage. Guys like to have storage in like a garage or an outbuilding or a shed of some type. But we like to have storage to store our stuff. If you drive around Enid, you're going to see that there are a lot of storage buildings for the overflow of stuff that we don't have room in our house for. You know, a two-car garage and an outbuilding and a metal storage isn't enough. We've got to rent places to store our stuff. Isn't it amazing how many of us fall into that trap that we want to take credit for something that God gave us? 
He is responsible for every blessing that we have. You wouldn't have any blessings if it wasn't for God. But yet, we want to take responsibility. Let's go on. He just kind of made plans as if he was in charge of the world. He said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be married. He just thought that he could do things totally on his own. I wondered why he didn't just build additional barns, why he needed to tear down what he had, but apparently what he had was old, you know? I gotta have something new. He just thought he was in charge of the world himself. But he also had a severe eye problem. Now, I'm not talking about these eyes, okay? But he had a capital I problem. Nine different times in three verses, he, he said, I, look what I've done. I'll do this myself. See, he brought a, all this attention to himself. And I think the greatest blindness of all has nothing to do with the eyes in our head, but when we get to thinking that it's all about us. Lastly, he forgot that God needed to be number one in his life. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Hmm. We've got to get to the point of putting God first in every area of our life. It's called first fruits. Those of you who raise gardens or have fruit trees, isn't it great to get the first tomatoes, the first watermelons, the first cantaloupes, whatever you're growing, the first, and we like to eat those. How often do you give those very first ones away? Not too often. We keep those for ourselves. But when we have extra, I'll, I'll pass those out to my friends and my relatives, but I'm going to make sure I've got my stock first. We've got to get to the point where we put God, number one, in every area of our life. That he gets the first roots, not the leftovers. And for too many of us, God gets our leftover time. He gets our leftover talents. He gets our leftover money. He gets our leftover possessions. Whatever we've worn out and don't think we need anymore, that's what we decide we want to give to God. Very rarely does somebody say, you know, I was going to buy a new vehicle for myself, but I decide I'm going to buy a new one for the church and I'm going to keep the old one. I'm going to give the first fruit to God. Or I'm going to buy a new piece of furniture for my house and the one that's old I'm going to bring to the church or donate it to the youth or something, but I'm not going to give them the best stuff. God gets the leftovers. Jesus wants to know that he has my whole heart. That's lordship. And it isn't something new. God's been doing this for a long time. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 22, the story of Abraham, where the most important thing to him was his son that he didn't think he'd ever get to have? And God said, I need your son. 
But Lord, he's the only one I've got. I need him. And he was willing to follow in obedience to the point where he was ready to take the knife and plunge it into his son. And God stopped him and said, no, I know your heart now. I know what's important to you and that I'm number one. That's total obedience. God does that with our possessions. He knows our heart follows our money and all of our stuff. Ivan the Great was a a czar of Russia in the 15th century. And he was a great warrior. He had conquered a lot of countries, a lot of territories. But he was unmarried, and his advisor said, you need to, to get married. You need to get a wife so that you'll have an heir to your throne and be able to carry on after you. So they looked, and they found a beautiful young lady, happened to be the daughter of the king of Greece. They approached him and said, hey, our king, our czar needs a, a bride. Would you allow Ivan the Great to to marry your daughter. And he agreed under one condition, that you become members of the Greek Orthodox Church. Ivan said, no problem, I'll do it. See, the king thought that was a great plan because he wouldn't have to worry about Ivan coming and attacking his country and trying to overthrow him and becoming the king himself. So he agreed to that. So Ivan the Great and 500 of his greatest soldiers studied to become members of the Greek Orthodox Church. They, they went through all the training, and it came time the day before the wedding that they went to the Mediterranean Sea, and there in that blue water, the priests were there already in the water, and the 500 soldiers and Ivan the Great showed up, and then they discovered they had a problem because the priests saw these warriors, these soldiers' swords, and they reminded them, they said, hey, 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 we got a problem. Nobody can be a member of the Greek Orthodox Church and be a warrior. Well, it presented quite a problem. So they quickly gathered, they decided, what, how are we going to solve this? All 500 soldiers went into the water to be baptized. And right before they were baptized, they took their swords and they held them up over the head. And everything was baptized except the swords. You know, that's a great illustration of the Lordship of Christ. And I just wonder how many unbaptized checkbooks that we may have here this morning. Or maybe it's the unbaptized keys to our motorhome or our boat or a lake house, or a car? How many unbaptized relationships or unbaptized work decisions do we have? And we have to realize that everything we have belongs to God and comes from God. Matthew chapter 6. We started with that, and I'm going to go back to that. Verse 19, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy 
where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, everything that we have comes from God and is on loan from God. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 17, he who has given us all things to richly enjoy. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and adds no trouble to it. Then in Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it all. See, lordship becomes personal when Jesus becomes the Lord of our life and the Lord of our possessions. I'm going to kind of tell you a little parable of, of the talents and um, I'm going to need some help so Leah I know she's totally unprepared for that I need you to come up to the stage okay and then I'm, I need, I'm going to need three volunteers I'm thinking Kyle Williams Corey Watkins and I'm going to need one more Neil Dieterding would you come on up here See, I'm, I'm a very wealthy man, and I'm, I'm going to be gone for a few months, but I'm going to give each of you, you guys come on over here, okay? If you haven't met this young lady, this is my wife, Leah, very proud of her, and I just want to make sure she's taken care of while I'm gone. So I'm going to give you three guys, come step over here in the end of the light here, so you can be on camera so all those watching at home can, can see as well. I'm going to give you guys $10,000 a month. And the only thing I'm going to ask that you do is give my bride $1,000 just to take care of her while I'm gone, take care of her needs. $1,000 a month. The other $9,000 you can buy cars, boats, whatever you want to buy. I don't care. You, it's yours to spend. But I just want to make sure that my bride is taken care of. So three months later, I come back and I, I said, Leah, were you taken care of? Yeah, I, I was taken care of. Well, let's talk, let's talk about, the, you know, how did Neil do? Did, did he take care of? Yep, Neil gave me $1,000 the first month. Second month, he gave me $1,000. Third month, he gave me, he was just like clockwork. Every, I didn't even have to, to look for it. He just showed up with it. I'm pleased and I'm happy with Neil. Thank you, Neil, for taking care of my wife. Kyle. Kyle. Leah, how did Kyle do? Kyle did great. The first month, he gave $2,000. Second month, he gave me $3,000. The third month, he gave me $4,000. Kyle, thank you for taking care of my, my wife and my bride. Thank you for doing that. Le Leah, how about Corey? Well, we need to talk about Corey. <laughs> <laughs> the first month, Corey gave me 
The second month, he only gave me $600. The third month, he didn't give me anything. What each one of these guys did to take care of my wife really showed their respect and love for me and also my bride, right? My wife. Who gave them what they had? I did. I gave them $10,000 just to do with whatever they wanted. And all they had to do was just give $1,000 a month to my wife, and then they could do whatever they wanted. What am I going to do with these guys? These two guys did great. I'm going to reward them. I'm going to say, you have done a great job. Thank you for taking care of my bride. But the one who didn't take care of my bride, I'm probably going to say, guys, you're going to get more. I'm going to take Corey's share, and I'm going to give it to you guys. Thank you for, because I know I can trust you. So, Thank you guys for being good sports. Thank you for coming up here. Leah, thank you that you were taken care of. I, I was going to tell you, they had no idea that that was happening. Okay? I didn't have any idea until we were kind of planning this backstage. But... We all face the Lordship test every single day, every week of our life. And it's either a pass or a fail. It's not a, a partial deal. It's either pass or fail. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And if Jesus is not Lord, then you need to settle this Lordship issue of Christ today.